For more than half a century, the world's most vexing geopolitical challenge has been how to bring peace and stability to the Middle East, particularly between Israel and its Arab neighbors. They largely don't have diplomatic relations with the Jewish state, and Israel's occupation of the Palestinian territories is a flashpoint that embroils other nations, including the United States. A lasting formula for peace has flummoxed generations of political leaders, and yet, out of the public eye, the wheels of peace are turning, not at the diplomatic table and not on the vaunted roadmap, but in the world of business and in the economy. And if those wheels keep spinning, maybe, just maybe, we'll see movement on the political side as well. That's what we'll be talking about today on Benchmark. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg in Washington. And I'm Daniel Moss, executive editor for Global Economics with Bloomberg in New York. The reason peace is becoming less out of reach, note that contortion, has to do with the fact that Israel and its economy have been a hotbed of technological innovation for years. Innovation that's forcing otherwise hostile Arab neighbors to look at ways they could also benefit. Trade and collaboration in technology and intelligence are flourishing below the radar between Israel and a host of Arab states, one of which is Saudi Arabia. The big question is whether this is really putting us anywhere down the road to a normalization of relations. There are a lot of caveats, and whether this will affect relations with the Palestinians or Iran is another question, but just the fact that Israelis and Saudis, for example, are quietly getting along in one way is a start. Let's turn to Jonathan Furziger, a reporter for Bloomberg in Tel Aviv. John's been following this angle closely. He joins us today from our office there. John, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Dan. It's uh, good to be with you both. But where are these connections happening between Israelis and people from Arab nations? Tell us the story. Most of the connections are made in third countries, generally in Europe and the U.S., but also close by in Jordan and Turkey. Often the contacts are made at international conferences or through middlemen. It's not really a new phenomenon. Israelis and Arabs have been doing deals for years. But what's new is that it's starting to come out of the closet. Why do they have to go through such cloak-and-dagger techniques to, to do this? And is it becoming less than before? Because it's technically illegal. Um, the Arab world is uh, essentially, officially, at war um, with Israel since 1948. There have been uh, peace agreements with Egypt and Jordan, but uh, it is illegal in most of these Arab states to do business with Israel. So what are these deals? How are they happening? So the greatest demand right now is for cybersecurity. Uh, that's where Israel has developed some of the most advanced techniques. Arab states also buy Israel's desalination technology and water management systems used in farming. The super secret stuff involves military and aeronautic deals, and they're done covertly with some of Israel's biggest defense companies. So why are these kinds of deals coming out of the closet now instead of being concealed like you were before, like you were talking about? Like I said, they are technically illegal and they've been going on for a long time, but the region is changing. Um, and uh, a lot of uh, the Gulf countries uh, are looking at Israel's technology and saying, why not? 
they are trying to find a solution to the Palestinian problem. That is the uh, gorilla in the room. And meanwhile, there is some level of nuance trying to uh, see if it's possible to get these products um, and still keep things discreet. And the respective governments where these companies are based know this is going on. I know that you know that I know that you know that we know, right? There's a lot of uh, winking. Um, it is... Uh, they don't want this to uh, come out publicly. There are uh, corporate constructs, third countries and straw companies that uh, are used to create a level of plausible deniability. It's sort of like, um, hey, why are you doing business with Israel? And you say back, whoa, I had no idea that company is Israeli. I was going to say, if, for example, if this business is, is technically illegal, if the Saudi government decided, well, we, you know, we, we want to shut this down or we want to uh, sanction these companies or put people in jail for dealing with Israel, could they just snap their fingers and do that right now since it's all out there? They absolutely could, and uh, they have not put people in jail, but they've shut down um, certain businesses. I was talking to uh, one guy that was running uh, tomatoes across the Jordanian border into uh, Saudi Arabia, and it came out publicly. In fact, competitors said, hey, what's going on with these Israeli tomatoes? And so they shut down that uh, border crossing, or they wouldn't let uh, the trucks go through. But as, as some of these products, especially the uh, security products, the, the technology, uh, they want and they make it happen. So hating to sound like an economic determinist here, it's follow the money and the ties will follow. Um, th that's uh, true. They are trying to find a way to thread this needle. Yes, there is a lot of uh, history, there's a lot of hostility, but uh, there, you know, the Arab states and Israel are looking at each other and saying, my gosh, this has been going on for, uh, for 70 years. Um, how can we uh, do business together? Jonathan, hold that thought. We're going to take a moment now to tell you about something new from Bloomberg. Starting right now, you can use our iOS app or our new Google Chrome extension to scan any news story on any website, instantly revealing relevant news and market data from Bloomberg and other sources. So no matter where you're reading the news, you can bring the power of Bloomberg to you. It's pretty amazing. Download our iOS app or search for the Bloomberg extension on the Chrome store to try it. Learn more at Bloomberg.com backslash lens. All right, and we're back with Jonathan Furziger. Jonathan, you wrote a lengthy article for Bloomberg Business Week recently about this topic. In my opinion, it's one of the most undertold parts of the Israel story these days. You know, usually all we hear is about about the issues between Israel and the Palestinians, or the war in Syria, so on and so forth. Is there any chance that? these kinds of business ties are going to extend to the diplomatic sphere or have they already extended in that direction? It's just something that we don't hear about that much. 
Yes, it's uh, happening. The, the strongest expression is in the so-called uh, Arab Peace Initiative, and it dates back to 2002. Uh, the deal is that Israel can have peace and business relations with 57 Muslim states, the entire Arab world, further, um, as long as it resolves things with the Palestinians. And that would mean Israel's complete withdrawal from the West Bank, from the Gaza Strip and East Jerusalem, um, which Prime Minister Netanyahu is not prepared to do. He says publicly that the Arab plan is a good start, but only if he can fiddle with some of its provisions. So the business aspects are not ready to come to the surface yet, but they're happening. Okay, but there we seem stuck in the traditional dialogue when what's actually happening sub rosa is corporate links between Israeli-based companies and Arab firms are becoming more and more intimate. That's right. One of the uh, interesting bits of the story that was in uh, Bloomberg Business Week uh, was about one of the biggest uh, defense companies uh, in Israel. It's called Elbit Systems. And they're interesting for lots of reasons. For one thing, the shares trade on NASDAQ. Just two years ago, one of uh, Elbit's employees from a U.S. subsidiary went to Saudi Arabia to fix a missile installation. Now, this kind of stuff is usually kept secret. In this case, the Elbit employee was found dead outside his hotel. It's still not certain if he was murdered or jumped out the window. But it's the most public evidence so far that a big Israeli company like Elbit is active in Saudi Arabia. Now, this mysterious death piqued our curiosity. So my Bloomberg colleague, Peter Waldman, went to Elbit's U.S. facility in New Hampshire, and he found some interesting practices. Uh, the employees there told him that when Gulf customers come to visit, Managers would take down Hebrew signs, maps, and any markings indicating Israeli origins. I called Elbit's spokeswoman about that, and she said that's not company policy. I found that anecdote really interesting, Jonathan, because you know, wouldn't these Gulf customers know that Elbit is an Israeli company even if they're visiting the office in the U.S.? Whether or not that's officially company policy, that sounds kind of like a... Um, non-denial of the uh, of the information you had in the story, but you know, is that really just for show purposes, just to kind of keep up the fiction that these Arab states are not dealing directly with Israel or Israeli companies? Well, of course, yes and no. Um, yes, there's a general sense uh, that um, these are uh, that there there are relations between the two, and and yes, if you look at Elbit. Uh, any serious customer knows that Elbit uh, Systems of America is a branch of uh, the Israeli company. So, yes, there's a lot of uh, winking and nodding. Talk about winks and nods. One of the most compelling anecdotes, Jonathan, is how Israeli technology almost got used in how the Saudi royal family manages the pilgrimage to Mecca, of all things. Yeah, um, this grew out of a mega project in which uh, a security system that was developed on an Israeli kibbutz on a farm was installed in the Gulf Emirate of Abu Dhabi. The contract was worth about $6 billion. That got the company's chairman thinking about how to sell elsewhere in the Gulf with the ultimate prize being Saudi Arabia. And it took a lot of nerve, you might say chutzpah, to pitch this contract. 
The idea was to root out unauthorized people who try to reach Mecca during the annual Hajj religious pilgrimage. In the end, the deal went to a Saudi company, even though the Israeli technology is said to have been judged to be the best. Now, these ties are happening as the Saudi Arabian government itself wants to reinvent its economy. Talk about that a bit. It's interesting. The the guy in charge of overhauling the economy in Saudi Arabia is the deputy crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman. He doesn't come out and say this openly, but some of his aides are very clear that Israel is on their map. There's a Saudi lobbyist in Washington we talked to who's close to the deputy crown prince, and he told us there's no question that they're in the market for Israeli technology, again in the fields of cybersecurity, desalination, and agriculture. On the other hand, when we asked for a palace response, the official position was that Saudi Arabia has no commercial relations with Israel. So bottom line here, is this kind of peace in the business and economic world going to keep extending, keep spreading, deepening, regardless of what happens with the Israel and Palestinian question? Well, I, you know, it's it's certainly possible, but, but hard to say for sure. The, the formula of business essentially lubricating the way for political compromise has been out there for decades. Um, certainly it's part of the Oslo Peace Accords in 1993. Uh, there are some strong political forces and strategic interests that are bringing the Gulf states to build ties with Israel. But Again, nobody wants to be seen as abandoning the Palestinians. So most people I talked to said that the prospects for public deals with Israel are still pretty dim for now. At the same time, this under-the-radar business keeps on growing. So with these economic and technological forces bearing down relentlessly on the relationship, is it entirely possible peace could be made among these nations the Palestinians left at the altar. You know, I don't think uh, that that's going to happen, uh, although it looks like it. Uh, every time that a, a deal uh, looks like it's, it's coming together, it doesn't. There have been 50 years since the 1967 uh, Six-Day War, and every time that you have a, a peace initiative, it, it, it just seems to fall through the through the cracks. Now, as far as um, business happening despite the absence of a deal, as I say, it is growing under the, uh, the radar. Um, but uh, I don't think that they're ready to leave the Palestinians uh, high and dry like that. Jonathan, this has just been a really interesting talk. Uh, the article you wrote is fascinating, and I would urge anybody listening to this uh, podcast to go and check out that article uh, in Business Week. Jonathan Ferziger, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Dan. Benchmark will be back next week, and until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Scott Landman. Dan, you're at Moss underscore Eco. And Jonathan, you're at at, uh, at Jay Furziger. Benchmark is produced by Sarah Patterson, and the head of Bloomberg Podcast is Alec McCabe. Thanks for listening. See you next time.